probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Blake Myers from the Buried Alive Film Festival. Awesome. Thanks for coming back. Oh, man, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. I love talking about this movie. So we're, we continue with uh, the end of, of the maybe the most memorable scene of the movie, where uh, we start at Minute 78 with the spider head peeking out from under the desk and then ends a minute later with uh, Clark suspiciously saying, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do what Max says. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we talked a little bit about the spider head yesterday when it's kind of morphing in silhouette. But now we, we totally get to see it in full frontal here um, as it's peeking out from under that desk. And it's another like real creepy puppet special effect. <laughs> it's just. Is this the only scene you see Spiderhead in this whole movie? I guess so. Yeah, I mean it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it's probably the only time you see it up close. The rest of the time, it's either kind of in the background, or it's, or you're seeing it in silhouette, or it's being burned. So it's really just that one shot you get. Um, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing how iconic this creature is to this film, and how many like images you see of it, and it exists in the film for what we're watching every single minute that this affects this thing lives for oh yeah it's it's, it spans for a total of two minutes of the movie it probably is only in there for about 30 seconds probably there's a lot of meat on that creature i tell (laughs) you yeah i mean that is funny to think i never thought about that but yeah it is definitely one of the most iconic little bits of kind of imagery from the movie and you know it's funny i'll see if i can find a picture of this to post but i just saw somebody post it on facebook the other day this is so iconic that uh somebody made a cake out of the norris head at some cake making contest like <laughs> like of all the stuff you could do you know that the, that head is like the thing that stands out in this movie for sure as like you know the thing everybody wants an action figure of and the thing everybody wants a t-shirt of like it's just so just so weird and otherworldly and creepy looking to have this alien that's made out of somebody's head who we've been, you know, Norris is a character we've been following and, and, you know, has been a pretty solid good guy throughout the most of this movie up until now. And then now his head has turned into a spider alien and is trying to escape. <laughs> Norris, Norris totally did not understand this. He, I mean, he was, he did not, he did not deserve this to happen to him. And I was thinking that the thing, the creature of the thing, he doesn't, or it doesn't understand humanity or like, you know, I don't know. It's like taking all these parts and morphing them in these weird, bizarre ways that doesn't make even sense. It's so strange how it, the thing is putting together body parts and making things out of it. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a good um, point to kind of bring up like what's actually, what's actually happening with the thing at this point. Like I get, I think, uh, you know, the head is just like, okay, that's the only part of me that's not on fire, so I'm going to get away and then grow legs so I can try and get out of here before these guys kill me. But, <laughs> um, you know, so it's just kind of self-preservation trying to escape. And, and yeah, I mean, like you said, the fact that it doesn't even, like, 
think about humanity like it's just it's a head and grows legs like all right i don't care what it looks like i'm just i gotta get out of here <laughs> it's like the, he- the head's upside down and right. it has extra eyeballs or what's on the tentacles coming out of the the things yeah that it's all i always think that those are eyes i guess but uh yeah, they look like feelers or something. You know, it looks more insect-like than it does mammalian. Yeah, it's very gross. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like it just kind of creates whatever form it can as fast as it can just to just to get away, um, which is, I guess, you know, kind of like the dog earlier. It just kind of grows those tentacles to grab the other dogs and then grows arms to try and pull itself through the ceiling. It's just no matter what, it just always is trying to, you know, create a new body part that can help it either either assimilate something else or escape what's trying to attack it. Um, it's very yeah, like exactly. reactionary, I guess. Which, yeah, I, I've always wondered, you know, why why this Norris uh, thing happens at all in the first place. Like, I, you know, because you can talk about how, you know, Norris has, in the movie, you're supposed to think he had a heart attack, right? And then, you know, they're trying to resuscitate him. But, um, I was talking uh, last week with somebody about how, you know, is it really a heart attack or is it just that his insides have been turning into this monster the whole time? And that's why he actually collapses and, you know, passes out. Um, but, you know, you have to wonder what's what's the thing's motivation? Why is it trying to do this? Why does it turn into a spider? Just I guess maybe that's uh, that's its best bet of being a creature that can run across the snow and get out of there. Um, so maybe it's planning ahead there, but then it doesn't realize it's taken over too much of the body for it to continue functioning or something. <laughs> well, I, I was wondering, like, have you ever read the original story who, who goes there? Mm-hmm. I've never read that. So does like by John W. Campbell, um, does that offer any more explanation to the things actual, what it wants? Not, not in the, like, like not related to this scene specifically, but it does. Um, I mean, kind of the same that it does in this movie. It's trying to just take over and spread, I guess, you know, it's, it's it's interesting because this movie's kind of like a um, and the story in general is almost like a zombie thing, and that it's like the sole purpose is to assimilate more and make more like itself and just take over more things like a virus. Um, mm. But it, but in such a creepier, you know, kind of grosser way than you know, a zombie just bites you and then you die and turn into a zombie too. But this is like you turn into something that nobody knows you've turned into something else, like uh, because it kind of recreates you and imitates you, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. That short story is very, very... This movie is very close to that in terms of um, a lot of the characters and what happens to them. The transformations are very are obviously a lot more subdued because uh, the novella came out in like his early 1930s. I can't remember exactly what year, but um, so it's not quite as, uh, as spectacular and, and doesn't describe it in the kind of crazy detail that the movie goes into. But, um, but yeah, a lot of the same kind of stuff happens. And it's uh, the, the book, the story is more about kind of the paranoia than anything else. There are definitely some creatures in it, but it's mostly about how the guys kind of turn against each other and go crazy trying to figure out who's the thing, um, which, you know, oh. this movie does very, very well up until this point, And now it's kind of turned into something a little different where, it's less about the trust and more about like, okay, this monster is on the loose and we've got to figure out a way to take care of it. Well, it turns into your classic John Carpenter movie. What do a bunch of guys do when they're trapped? 
in a hole and they only can depend on each other or can they? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. A lot, you, you know, people talk about how John, uh, some people say John Carpenter doesn't have like a consistent style or consistent themes, but yeah, man, you just nailed it. That's exactly it. In a lot of cases, it's, it's about a bunch of guys trying to figure out how to, how to do what has to be done. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're stuck there and something's got to go down. And, you know, we got a bunch of guns and we're going to fucking do it. That's a John Carpenter movie, except for Halloween. Halloween is his artsy-fartsy movie. Yeah, which is funny to say, but you're totally right. It is It is a little bit more kind of artsy than, than uh, you know, this movie's got a lot of that to it, too. But it's, uh, you know, it's easy to overlook that when there's these insane monsters and stuff going on. And, and very kind of like badass, badass dudes doing what they got to do. <laughs> You know, even though, you know, John Garber's got his own special artsy fartsy parts in all of his movies. And that's why I really appreciate it, too. You know, but um, like something like Halloween, I think he even said that they were watching Suspiria and all these Gallo movies from Italy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we should make one of those. And then they made Halloween. Like, oh, well, that makes total sense. <laughs> but, um, you know. I think the thing harkens to like the style of a John Carpenter movie that's like Dark Star, that's like Escape from New York, you know, guys doing dude things in scary, lonely places and how will they deal with each other and how they deal with the situations that they're put in front of. Yeah. And I I think you're right. And, you know, while we're, while we're talking about it, this is probably a good point to bring up. Uh, We didn't, we didn't get to talk about it in your, your first episode, but what's your, uh, what's your connection to John Carpenter movies? Uh, You you mentioned having a special connection to dark star before we started recording. Oh, you know, when I was young, you know, I got stuck at Dragon Con in the middle of the night and just ended up watching dark star and the whole like concept of cowboys or like and they played the country music at the end beginning of Benson, Arizona. And it's just these guys with these big beards floating around in outer space, blowing things up. Cause that's their job. <laughs> <laughs> you make a whole movie out of that. And like, it was just really a fun romp and it just, just turned me on to John Carpenter so much. And it was great. Cause that was his first film. But, um, you know, John Carpenter's great. Halloween is an amazing film. And it's, uh, always just great to read about how that film was made. And, it just sounds like it would be so much fun to make jo- films with John Carpenter back in the day. Seems like such a, a nice, fun guy to make movies with. But, you know, the thing, well, I, another time at Dragon Con, when John Carpenter <laughs> actually came to Dragon Con. Oh, to man. Speak, That's awesome. It, yeah, it was awesome. We were waiting in this incredibly long line. And that's where my story is going to change and not be as cool as you wish it was. Because. <laughs> We were screening at the movie theater I worked at right down the road. We were working on screening a film for Dragon Con. We were screening The Crow Part 3. Ah. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Something had happened, and the 35-millimeter print was falling off the platter. Ooh. And I had to get out of line to get John Carpenter to autograph stuff for me and go fix a fucking movie about The Crow. I think John Bon Jovi's in it. Oh, Lord. So <laughs> I, I handed my original Dark Star British quad poster and my VHS copy of The Thing to my buddy. And fortunately, he got them all signed in John Carpenter. He said John Carpenter's really nice. But I didn't get to meet him because I had to go fix a fucking John Bon uh, Jovi Crow Part 3 piece of crap movie. <laughs> well, it makes for a good story at least. But yeah, that is too bad. <laughs> oh, geez. You know, 
I'm the crow. What the fuck? <laughs> my uh, my wife worked at a movie theaters for a long, long time, so I know all about the uh, the horrors of a of a brain wrap and and all that. And, oh, and yeah. film falling off the platter and all that stuff, and what a nightmare that can that can be. So I, I definitely sympathize. <laughs> it was a one time screening. They only struck up three prints of the film because they didn't think they were actually going to do a theatrical print uh, release because the film sucked so bad. Yeah, but Dragon Con <laughs> somehow was doing a screening of it, and the tail of the film ended up spooling off the back so the whole film was falling on the fucking ground Ugh. and to have to fix it and like if it was a really great movie and you're like well this will at least all be worth it <laughs> yeah but, exactly no what do you, do you remember why they wanted to screen the crow three like what a weird movie for for them to want to show well because it was not in theaters it had not been released yet it was like a special before uh, okay. anybody got to see it kind of a screening and i think maybe one of the actors was even at dragon con okay it was a special event we were hosting with Dragon Con, so interesting. <laughs> well, that's too bad, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'll have to keep my fingers crossed that John Carpenter will one day come back to Dragon Con. I kind of, I kind of doubt it, but you never know. <laughs> you know, I and then the interesting thing was I did get to see him speak at another time, and he was talking about how he doesn't do sequels. He doesn't. Yeah. That's not his thing. He doesn't care about when he's done with the movie. He's done with the movie. And someone was like, "Oh, but what about?" Escape from L.A. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that was not my idea. Kurt Russell's <laughs> idea. It was Kurt's idea. I didn't want to do it, but I, you know, whatever. Well, and, and, we, and we saw how that turned out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, John Carpenter's a, I, I'm just so glad he's, didn't he say he's just about to make another Halloween film? He's, I, I don't know exactly how he's involved with it. I, he's not directing it, but he, um, I know he's pretty heavily involved, and I think he's doing the music, which is pretty cool. That um, is awesome. And yeah, he's definitely involved, maybe as a producer or something like that. And, and you know, maybe if we're really lucky, he'll have a hand, a, a co-writing credit or something too. But yeah, I hope I hope that turns out well. I mean, you know, I love the I love the first Halloween movie, and and I enjoy um you know it's, some of the sequels are are fun for you know various reasons, but uh, and then Rob Zombie's movies are. are cool in, in a very different way than the original is but um yeah it'd be cool to see uh john carpenter you know dip his toe back into into film because it's been it's been quite a while since he made a movie he's been really involved in his uh his new musical career as you know a senior citizen who's rocking out on stage across the country which is pretty awesome <laughs> there's that but i hear him talking more about how he's been playing um video games and watching basketball yes <laughs> I think we listened to the same interview because, yeah, I, I, I was just telling somebody about that, how funny it is that how many times in this, this half-hour interview that uh, – is it? Did we, I, I, heard, I think I might have heard that on the PBS American Masters thing they did with him. Um, okay. But they, I think it, probably. Yeah, they, but it was funny just how many times he brought up like – they're like, well, you know, what are you interested in doing now? And he's like, uh, well, you know uh, – Sometimes I'll go and write, you know, part of a song and then go back to playing video games. And then, you know, when I take a break, I'll go and write in another part of a song. And, you know, it's just like how many times he brought up playing video games. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty cool that uh, he's he's still in it, you know. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah, I'm just like, wow, he, he knows how to live life the right way. Most definitely. He's uh, he's figured it out, I think. So, yeah, so we get back to uh, this scene. And then we, I mean, we mentioned uh, uh, we were talking about before we started rolling that this has one of the one of the funniest best lines of the movie i think in that uh as we as we see the we hear the pitter patter of those little spider legs crawling across the floor <laughs> before uh before anybody sees them and then uh windows and palmer turn around and palmer says you got to be fucking kidding me <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, after all that been going down, we need a little we need a little one liner right there. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. That uh, that totally does it. So you know, if the um, if none of this stuff kind of made you laugh at any point uh, up to this point, that's definitely the line that's supposed to kind of break the tension and be like, okay. Like let me let me let me get sit back in my seat again and and then uh, you know quit freaking out for a second because this is as cre- as uh, as horrifying as this is it's also hysterical and, and bizarre and funny. <laughs> well, I mean, have you ever looked at what the writer has also done? Yes, bad bad news bears is like the only thing he's ever done. <laughs> aside from, isn't that insane? He did bad news bears, bad news bears in bears in training, breaking <laughs> the bad news bears goes to Japan. The Bad News Bears, the TV series, The Thing, and The Bad News Bears, 2005. <laughs> yeah, Fuck. it's... That is really uh, weird. Isn't that funny to think? I didn't know that until I started, like, looking into that stuff before when I started the podcast. That is insane to me that, like, you know, arguably one of the greatest horror movies of all time is written by a guy who not only did not write that much else, but only the only other major thing he wrote was Bad News Bears. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's all they had to go on. They're like, who should write this? I don't know. I just saw the Bad News Bears the other day, and I think that guy would be perfect. But, you know, it's funny. They said uh, – um, the producers said that the, one of the reasons they went with him is that they wanted somebody who could write for an ensemble. And that was something they thought he did really well with Bad News Bears is writing for a, a bigger cast of characters rather than just one main character. So, you know, I guess – you know, I guess that worked out, but that's it's just such a funny thing. I would have never made that connection, but uh, you know, he wrote he wrote a hell of a movie. <laughs> and, you know, Walter Matthau's the man. I've never even seen Bad News Bears, but I'm going to watch it now. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I, f- I feel the same way. That's what I haven't done. Maybe I'll have to do a special episode of the podcast where <laughs> me and some people talk about Bad News Bears and how we can make some connections. Maybe there'll be some funny connections to the thing there. <laughs> yeah, that, for sure. That's throwing me for a loop. That was not something I was expecting to get out of this. It's Bad News Bears. <laughs> so um, I did want to mention I've, uh, earlier you said that you thought maybe one of the things – one of the techniques they used on, on the Nora stuff was maybe uh, some remote control stuff. And I'm guessing that uh, – oh, sure. I'm guessing this little spider's got a, got a little remote control car attached to the bottom of it. That's how they get it to uh, skitter across the floor like that. It's a, it's a great effect. Um, oh, yeah. I love it. Just makes it look very kind of it, – it's, it's goofy, but at the same time it is also very creepy. So it works perfectly for the tone that this, this little – bit of the movie goes for um and then i love i'm guessing that it's also rc because they're they're able to keep it moving while it's on fire and while it's screaming and and spinning around which is is just a great shot um we get another one of those creepy screams that's it's like the same one we got kind of the same scream we got with the bennings thing where it's like i think i said they took multiple screams from different people and then sort of sample them together at different pitches and things like that so you get that really kind of creepy otherworldly weird it, like it sounds like a person but like not quite <laughs> oh i mean it makes it makes it makes the whole sh- scene as the sounds of those monsters make that's like oh that's an alien you just know automatically when you hear it oh yeah i mean yeah with the, that scene with bennings earlier in the movie that the the scream that he makes is like the key thing that clue like his hand is weird looking but like the fact that he's making that weird noise is like the key thing that makes you know, like know that something is deeply deeply wrong with him <laughs> <laughs> so it w- works works again really well here. So yeah, after we get them burning the spider, we get this nice quiet cut to uh, some rope being thrown on the chair, and we're we're back to them. Like the tension that was ratcheting up before all this crazy stuff happened with Norris is like like we pick up exactly where we left off, where everybody's kind of like 
uh, McCready's trying to figure out who's who and, and ha- figuring out how to get control back of the group when they don't trust him either. So, you know, starts to get them to all tie each other up and everything again. And, uh, yeah, this is where we get, um, the beginning of the end for Clark, where he's, uh, Clark is very, you know, up to this point, he's been very kind of antagonistic and shy. And then all of a sudden he's very much like, Oh yeah, let's, let's listen to what he has to say, which is like, you know, McCready, uh, McCready obviously knows something's up there. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. And I think that the, I love the hard cut to the rope being thrown in the chair. Yeah. It's, uh, very much signals that scene's going to start off with serious business. Yes. It's like, it, it's, it's, it's a great kind of, um, I don't know, that cut works super well. Instead of just cutting to one of the guys, the cut to the rope instead like already sets the scene for what we're going to ha- get here uh, immediately. So it, it's, it works very well. What we said before is that you know the, um, there wasn't any really heavy-duty special effects that were going on right in plain view in front of the characters. And now that scene is over, it seems like oh, we're not fucking around anymore. We have rope out, and we're going to have a serious conversation about what we just saw. Yeah, so it's back to like the kind of it's back to like the human drama, but also very much like what they just saw affects like okay, we've got to like take this much more seriously. Like that was insane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I love how that really you know ex- exemplifies what they need to deal with. Yeah, for sure, and that that cut really sells that idea for sure pretty well. It makes it not a silly movie and more of a scary movie because, you know, a lot of films like that, once you turn into special effects that crazy like that, you just it's, it's ridiculous, you know. But this is like the tensions have risen. Yeah, that's a really good point. You're right. Most, most movies that kind of rely heavily on special effects like that, once you do something like this, it's hard to go back to being like a serious, scary movie. It's, it yeah. turns into kind of like a goofy gore fest or where you're kind of like rooting for people to get killed just to see how they do it the next time. But like here, yeah, because of the editing, because of the characters, because of the tension that they've built up already, um, you know, they're able to kind of keep that rolling without it turning into something silly, which is really cool. And also, like again, I, I mean, this is a movie at a wide release in 1982. This is probably like more gore effects than anyone ever seen. Oh my god! Yeah, I in mean, a film like that, really. Yeah, I mean, even even somebody watching it now who's never seen it before, this movie is pretty shocking. But I can't even imagine seeing it in 1982 and not not knowing what's about to happen. Like, I, I totally get why. You know, it's a shame, but I totally get why the reviews and the box office and everything were not as, as good as, uh, as Carpenter thought they'd be just because it's so, so much farther ahead and, and crazy and gorier than anything that had really come out at this point. It's so, such a, it's, you know, it's a whole level beyond what, what had come before for sure. You mean you might get something that gory in like a, a, a European film that right. was playing at the drive-in or the exploitation theater. But, you know, I mean, the thing was a major film, but it put out by a major Hollywood studio. So it was pretty uh, special for the time it came out. And yeah, it's, it's more of a serious film than it is a silly gore fest. The yeah. gore fest really didn't even exist back then. Right. Yeah, you're right. And and maybe that's part of why this movie didn't do well, too. It's just people, you know, maybe once you've seen, you know, a bunch of zombie movies and mo- monster movies and stuff like that, when you get to this, it's not quite as like, uh, you know, like you're not going to like leave the theater or like throw up or something <laughs> like it once you've seen that kind of stuff. But if you, if no, you weren't, pre- it. right, exactly. Exactly. If you weren't prepared for it though, like if you hadn't seen anything like that before, then yeah, you might have that bad reaction. <laughs> yeah, I'm so. trying to think of the huge horror films that came out before them because you know, you really had a, an era when the Hollywood films like the blockbusters are star Wars, ET mm-hmm. jaws, that kind of stuff. 
and um, <laughs> this really rubs against the grain of even like <laughs> Jaws. Like if Jaws is a horror film, this is totally fucked. Yeah, for real. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, seeing even something like um, uh, I'm trying to think of something else that might. I mean, like Halloween, for example. You know, is a very was a very scary movie and was a super super successful horror movie. I mean, that's the success no of blood. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like that's a it's a scary movie and it's intense and it's a slasher and all that good stuff. But yeah, there's hardly any blood. I just rewatched it uh just a, a couple of days ago and you're you're right. There's hardly any blood. There's no gore whatsoever. Um, you know, the, it's it's a lot of it is kind of relying on the music and the the suspense and everything like that. The kills are not like that crazy or intense. So then to jump to something, you know, if you're like, oh, well, Halloween was cool. I, I think I might like horror movies. And then you jump to this, you're like, whoa, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a mere like th- four years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And, you know, the other, the other horror films in 1982, uh, Poltergeist mm-hmm. and Creepshow and Halloween three, you know, but then after that, those are the big ones. After that, everything's smaller. Yeah. Yeah, and th- you know those are great movies, and and you know uh, something you know Creepshow and uh, and Poltergeist both have great special effects too, but they're nowhere near as like weird and out there and yeah. just straight up gory like these are for sure. So yeah, it's a whole different ballpark for this one for sure. I know we got to ramp down this like special effects talk because we're talking about this like this serious acting moment coming up. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so we're kind of we're moving out of special effects land, and uh, and for these next two minutes, we've got. Uh, leading up to another special effects moment in a, in a few minutes of the movie, but uh, another very like tense, paranoid human drama that's uh, about to unfold here. So I think we'll probably uh, probably wrap this one up and, and move towards that. Unless you uh, have anything else you wanted to last uh, last special effects things you want to mention about the the thing? No, nah, man, I'm ready to get to the next one. It sounds exciting. Right on. Cool. So um, yeah, we'll wrap up minute uh, seventy eight. But uh, make sure you check us out in iTunes and subscribe there if you haven't already so you can never miss an episode. And if you like the show, uh, please rate and review us in iTunes. That makes a big difference in, in helping people find the show and, and helping us uh, show up when you search for stuff, uh, stuff like this. So um, do that if you can, and we'd greatly appreciate it. But uh, don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minutes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. (laughs) 